Grab something to cool you off and sit around the tap pen with Cameron and me for this week's episode of Goat Gap. We are talking about breeding debates, an informal chat that hopefully will give you something to think about too. We're glad you're here for our 45th episode of Goat Gap. Welcome back, Goat Gabbers, to another exciting rendition of Goat Gab. As always, I am Cameron. And I'm Laura. We're glad to be here on this uh, middle part of August. Summer's starting to wind down. So it's great that you guys are joining us, as always. Yeah, um, it's the middle of state fair season here in the Midwest. The kids are going back to school, um, if you have kids. um, And the goats are starting to get a little tired. Get a little tired, and as I walked out this morning to do my morning check before I went out and milked, the bucks are getting a little bit stinky. So that, to me, that's always like, oh, yeah, fall's almost here. Yeah, yes, yes, it is, and I agree on that. I just, I feel like we got back from the State Fair, and I felt like my goals just stopped in milk production. Before we left, we were at about four full pasteurizers. Now, my dad said he was at two and a half. I was about three and a quarter. So we're kind of, you know, starting to dip down in production, I feel like, a little bit. Yeah, it's it it does have that tired feeling anyway, too, I think. You know, I think a lot yeah. of people could can definitely relate to that feeling. Yes, and I think the question becomes now is, and a lot of people's mind is, how long do I want to milk my goats if I want to wait for L.A.? Exactly, right. Um, you know, I've had that discussion here at my house with my daughters, Missouri hasn't been on that list where they've said, oh yes, we're coming in such and such month that at one point they mentioned maybe September, but I don't know that that's going to happen. And, and, you know, with, uh, my youngest going back to college next week and just trying to figure out how this is going to work out. Definitely a, a topic of debate. Do we go ahead and keep them into milk? Do we just dry it off, dry them off, and think, you know, let's let's just try again for next year, or or what do you want to do with that? So I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have those same questions as well. Yeah, yeah. I think on that though, Laura, what else is happening at your farm? Well, um, Missouri State Fair is this weekend, and um, one thing that I was thinking about the other day, we're really lucky in Missouri that the dairy goats are always the last breed that show at the state fair and we get it on a weekend. So it's almost in time commitment time. It's almost like a club show from the fact that if you're just showing open show, you can come in on Friday, you show juniors on Saturday and seniors on Sunday, and then you can go home. So it's not a big commitment of losing time off of work and in staying there for a whole week. You're, you're just there over a weekend. So Friday we get to take the goats in and uh, we'll show Saturday and Sunday. And that's kind of our last big hurrah for the year. So um, we're trying to decide who still needs to be clipped and who looks okay from um, another, from being clipped before. So uh, do you do that, Cameron? Do you take a look at them and think, yeah, they look okay. And then you get to the show, you're like, oh, they don't look okay. <laughs> I have some goats right now that are super hairy. And I I am a fit to be tied with how hairy they are. And we go to, we have two more goat shows. Um, one this weekend, similar to you, and then one um, in 
two weeks after that, so in three weeks from this, yeah, it's they're going to be shaggy. I'll tell you that. So you're not going to reclip? Oh, absolutely not. My back hurts too much. (laughs) You mean there's just a point in, in the year where you're like, and I'm done. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. I, once we decide it's the last clip, I shut off my clipping mode. Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's, that's kind of where we are. We, we clipped off a few this weekend and, and it was awesome. Elizabeth and I were clipping together at the same time and it was almost like a race to see who could get their goat done first. So we got them, you know, done pretty quickly. We got six of them done Saturday morning and then, um, yeah, I, I think the others look just fine. I don't have a child in showmanship at this show, so I, I think we're going to be just fine with them the way that they are. So um, it's always a little sad to hit that last show of the season. Um, there's another show that we have thought about maybe going to, but I'm just kind of feeling tired. So I don't know. We'll have to see what goes. Um, after these yeah. two that you have, Cameron, are you guys done? Oh, we are done. We are done. Um, we will have had our linear appraisal date. Um, we will have had our final shows of the year. Um, we are done, and we will continue to milk though for the three hundred five days for our DHIR. I'm I'm impressed. I think that's awesome. I'm telling you up front, I'm not. I'm I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I love milk test, but it has been a flop this year for us. I hate that. Um, a lot of it has to do with COVID and and my job and the job of other people in my test group. And it's just been really difficult. And, and I feel like a loser for saying that, but sometimes you just have to decide something's got to go. And for us that did. So I'm just going to go back at it next year and hope that next year is a better year for us. But I definitely applaud you for doing it. DHIR is truly a commitment. I will say that Uh, applaud the hobby breeders like myself that do it. Um, because it frankly it stinks sometimes um so um with that being said um yeah i went to a goat show this weekend too yeah you want to talk about that a little bit it was a big goat show yeah it was there's about um 650 ish goats there um uh, i had a great time at the wisconsin state fair it's always interesting because when you go to the wisconsin state fair um, one, you have to be a pretty skilled backer of your trailer, and I am not. So I, I'm going to give myself a kudos here on backing in my trailer myself um, for the first time. So I'm I'm gonna, I'm going to toot my own horn on that one. <laughs> um, but Good it's, it's always interesting because the people in Wisconsin are really nice, and what's awesome is that our competitors, the people that we compete against with, are actually helping us load our trailer to get out it is awesome you know you'll you'll get in That's you'll so back nice. your up and they'll have you in and out and all of your stuff loaded in about 20 minutes and all your goats loaded and everything wow impressive yeah oh and the people in wisconsin are just are so nice and nothing to take away from other states that we've been to um and shows we've been to but a real shout out to them just showing true hospitality um, a real class act by all exhibitors as well. Yes, they are some of our uh, really great competitors, and we do compete against them quite a bit. But at the end of the day, it really goes to show that, one, it's just a goat show, and two, friendship is the most important thing at a goat show. 
That's why we do it, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. But with that being said, there were necessarily some controversies that me and Laura had talked about, actually, before we recorded. But I wanted to talk about this. There was a situation that happened that directly impacted my herd. The situation, and I will not get into a lot of details, resulted was the result of the rules being changed by the show chair at the time of the show. The situation that happened led to different awards being handed out to wrong breeders. Um, and again, the show chair was the one who was not following the rules correctly. The situation was rectified, but at the end of the day, and I, I'll, I'll talk about this in terms of a game, a show being a game, when the game is not played correct or not played fairly, there truly isn't a winner in the game. And I'll leave it at that. That's got to be frustrating to be in the thick of it and see this unfold. Yes, absolutely. There will be some some proper protocols followed and, and some other things. And they said they were going to look into changing the rules to make sure the game was fairly played and clearly spelled out. Again, making sure that there's no gray area. And I think that's a problem with, with all shows is that there's gray area. And I know that's something that even happened at your state fair. Yes, it has happened like that before. You know, one gray area that I think pops up a lot, and I'm not I'm not pointing out a situation that happened at my state fair or or one that Cameron is at, but it's one that I see from time to time. Um, rules about when exhibitors have to be at a show. That's one that crops up all the time and gets ignored an awfully lot, I think. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, you know, and I'll be honest with you, Laura, I, I ran into a situation where I specifically said the, the rule said I had to be in at this time. I told the show chair I could not do that. And he said, that is fine. What time could you be in? And he said, I said, I can make it this time. He said, that's great. So I, I and I will, I will agree, but the rules often are murky. Well, they are. And I also realize that things happen just like that, or, you know, you're not going to be able to be there. The show, you know, needs your animals. They need your breed or whatever. Um, giving them prior information about, Hey, is it still okay if I come? I'm not going to be able to be there. I can't get off work that early or I don't have a trailer available or whatever the issue is. Um, that's one thing, but just assuming that it's okay and disregarding rules, I think that's when people get really upset, you know, because they well, feel like it looks uh, like it's not fair. And there was a, a there was an instance at the national show this year. I don't know the exhibitor. I don't know who it was. If they listen to the podcast. I, I truly am sorry that the situation happened this way, but they showed up late to vet chat. They showed up probably at 10 o'clock or so at night or so. I don't remember the exact time, but there was no one there to vet check them in. No vets there, no staff there. But the problem was is that that was not clearly communicated to said show chair um, of the national show or communicated to anyone at the national show. And if that would have been communicated, the situation could have been rectified. So you feel like that they probably would have made arrangements and, and made it okay for them, understanding that there were some extenuating circumstances? 
Yeah, that could have been looked at if if situation right. if communication was enabled. And I get it. It happens. Trucks break down. Tires blow. Don't even get me started about <laughs> tires blowing. But I think the biggest thing is you have to let people know, um, and you have to be communicative about the situation at hand. Yeah, I agree. Don't don't assume. I mean, you know, communicate, tell people what you can and can't do, and go from there. I, there's probably times, though, that even with communication, the answer would have to be no, but at least you've given everybody a chance to thoughtfully consider what you're asking and, and move forward there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, but thinking about that um, and talking just a little bit about Adgar right there, What's happening in the world of Adga, Laura? Well, um, I think to start <laughs> out with, but, um, we got our election results. So, yeah, um, you know what I'd like to say to everybody is, um, you know, thank thank you for voting. Everybody that voted, whether you voted for the winners or you voted for the ones who didn't win, stepping out there with your voice and, um, you know taking the time to fill out those ballots and sending them in correctly. That's that says that you are committed to the future of ADGA and that, that you care. So thank you for doing that. Um, it always blows my mind at how small the numbers are of people who actually vote in each district, but um, that doesn't mean that each vote isn't important. So thank you for doing that. And uh, um, for those who voted for me, I, I'll just put this out here. I was one of the successful candidates, so I'm really excited and a little bit nervous and, um, you know, really eager to try to do my part to help AGA move forward and, and uh, be able to meet the, meet the needs of our industry in the future. And I'm excited that your dad's also one of the six successful new candidates on the board. So it'll be neat to work with him in, in that capacity also. Yeah, it's really exciting, and, and and again, thank you. Like just like Laura said, thank all candidates for running and choosing to represent the association. Um, you know, being a director is not an easy task, um, and it's it's a time commitment, and it takes you away from other things that you might want to pursue in life. So I thank you for that, um, and I can't wait to interrogate you um, about all of these things in the future. <laughs> Yeah, thanks, Cameron. <laughs> um, uh, also yeah, on Aggie News. Oh, go yeah, ahead. We we talked about and this is me and Laura. We talked about how we're thinking about how, we're, we're, what's going to happen with Laura being a director and, and what's going to happen there in terms of it. But um, we're going to work some stuff out. But I think Laura, we should have a whole episode dedicated to your mindset going into the board of director meeting. Just talk about what what you're thinking. Well, we'll see. That might be a good idea. <laughs> Absolutely. Also on the Edgar front, Edgar um, lost, uh, and I'll sadder note here, Edgar lost a true pioneer of the industry. Um, Linda Campbell passed away um, this weekend here and um, truly a living legend. Laura, why don't you knew Linda Campbell? Could you be able to shed some light on some of her history and some of your experience with her? So, um, certainly I don't have the history that a lot of the people that worked alongside her did. Um, but I did have the pleasure of working with Linda when she was ADGA president and I was the ADGA youth representative back in 1980, 
eight would have been. And um, Linda called me and asked me if I would like to be part of um, the Dairy Goat Awareness Week kickoff that they had in Washington, D.C. And so she put together this amazing reception and we had senators and representatives and and uh, Secretary of Agriculture and all kinds of people that came uh, to learn about dairy goats. And it was it was really an amazing experience for me as a, I think I was a college freshman or sophomore at that time. And it was just, it was just very cool. And Linda was so encouraging and um, she just really struck me as somebody who had that perfect blend of professionalism and also warmth. Um, You know, she, she would look you straight in the eye and smile and encourage you to share your thoughts about things. And and I always really appreciated that about Linda. Um, You know, as a young, as a young adult, she was one of the first people that I saw um, that I personally knew as a woman who was in a position of, of um, power, you know, in ad as Adga's president. And that really struck with me that it was awesome to see, um, a woman who could run a international organization and, and did it with class and finesse. So uh, Linda, you're going to be greatly missed. Thank you for, for sharing that. Now I didn't even know that Washington DC part. That's so cool. And I always forget that you were the youth rep, even though it was only about 10 years ago. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. 10 plus 10 plus 10 plus a little more than that. So <laughs> it was so it was a while back, but um, it was very cool. Uh, you know, though, thinking about that, um, the year that I was youth rep was the very first year that the national show was in Harrisburg. So I'm kind of excited to go back to Harrisburg next summer because I haven't been there since then. So it'll be it'll be neat to see what's changed in that very well, long period of time. Yeah, and and well, thinking about that and your your kind of experience as youth rep. The opportunity to run for youth rep is coming up as well at the convention schedule with the convention and the schedule coming out. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's really cool the way that they've got all the youth activities at the end of the week now. So, you know, if you are a a young adult and you're passionate about dairy goats, really look into the opportunity to go to the convention. Um, There are scholarships that are given by different groups for people to go to convention and, um, I've not ever been to Tucson, but everybody tells me it's beautiful. And they said that the hotel where this is at is supposed to be just a gorgeous resort. So, um, you know, don't, don't hesitate. If it's something that you think you want to do, figure out a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. Um, again, I had never been to a convention before until I went to the TC at a convention, which is, Kind of different, but I think there's a lot of the same experiences, though, because you can ex- not maybe experience, but you can be around what happens with the shenanigans at night. Also, speaking of that and speaking of TC, um, if you are interested in going to convention and possibly um, testing for your judge's license, please give uh, the committee a heads up that you're planning to go. I saw that Emily Thompson and Anna Thompson were asking for people who are interested in getting their license to let them know. I think they want to make sure they have a a large enough panel to handle it. So. Yeah. Yes. I had heard that through the grapevine as well. 
One more piece of ADGA news that actually just came out today is that ADGA came out with the um, the stance uh, revolving some type of COVID-19 guidelines for shows, but took a very neutral stance on it saying that it is for the location and the time where the ADGA event is held. So say, for example, there was a show in Atlanta, Illinois. The county is Logan for Atlanta. So we would need to follow, if we were holding that show in Logan County in Atlanta, we would need to follow all COVID-19 guidelines for Logan County and all COVID-19 guidelines for the state as well, given that certain time. I wonder what inspired this statement. Yes, I, I agree as well. Um, and again, it's interesting. I, I don't necessarily think that a, a sanctioning organization of a show would need to put this out there, but it's it's good to it's good to know, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. And I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm dense, but to me, it just kind of seems like common sense. I mean, uh, if you come to my house and I tell you that in order to come in my house, everybody takes their shoes off you're probably going to take your shoes off before you come in just because that's what we do here. I don't see where it's a lot different with COVID restrictions. You do what the house that you're in asks you to do, but anyway, yeah. maybe I'm oversimplifying it. Nope. I've, I've been to your house. You asked for your shoes off. <laughs> well, actually I, it doesn't really matter to me. Most people do it. So it, it's, it's fine with me. I mean, I, it doesn't matter, but I'm just giving that as an example. You know, you kind of follow, follow what the edicts of the area are and go forward mm. from there. So it's, yeah, it's just kind yeah. of interesting. Yeah. The main topic. Are you ready? I'm ready. Oh, wait, before yeah. we jump into this oh. main topic, can I ask yeah. a question? I, I've, sure. I've just kind of, had an informal poll with some other people. I want to talk a little bit about buck shows in the fall. Okay. So anybody who's in the Midwest knows that Missouri is kind of known for having buck shows in the fall. And I think there are some other States that have done that too, but like uh, the Southwest Missouri Dairy Good Association, they were kind of the, the first pioneers with that. And they have had a great big six ring buck show for, for years now. And then, um, the Boone Companions group in Missouri, which is kind of a mid Missouri group, they've had um, their autumn romance buck show, excuse me, for several years. Um, that's been a four or six, six ring show. I think it's a six ring show now. So um, I always thought that buck shows were great to have in the spring, especially the early spring before it got really hot. And, and, you know, your boys have had some time to put some weight on after breeding season. They're not in rut. So they're pretty easy to handle. You don't have to worry about them getting loose and breeding all the goats in the barn. Cause they're most of them aren't coming into heat. And I've just always thought that buck shows were something you do in the spring. What do you think about buck shows in the fall? Is it a good thing or is it not a good thing? I have no preference. I will not show at a buck show in the fall as of right now, today. Um, that is not to say my opinion might not change at some point, but I really have no desire. I think the one thing about a buck show in the spring is it's hard to make room in your trailer for the bucks. You want her in a separate area than the does. So think about it. If you're taking 
maybe you're taking dry stock or kids, you're taking milkers, and then you're taking bucks. You need three compartments in your trailer. True. Yeah. yeah. I, that, you that's think the, about that. That's one thing I, I literally just thought about it. I was like, okay, that makes sense. But but I, I won't show at them. I will judge them. Um, but I'm I'm judging one this year actually. That's you know, three or three judges, um, all Nigerian dwarfs. So yeah. Wow. Huh. Are Nigerian dwarfs are as obnoxious in the fall as what a standard breed is? I don't really think so. Um, because they're seasonal breeders, I don't think it's as bad. Plus, those Nigerian dwarf people. I'm not knocking you guys at all on this statement. You guys love to put on goat shows, which is great. I love to judge goat shows. <laughs> I think that's pretty awesome. Well, and, and again, I'm not saying uh, yes or no on any standpoint. It just seems funny to me that that there aren't any spring buck shows around in my area anymore, and they're all in the fall. So, um you know, I guess one one good thing about it is, is if you dry your does up after the state fair, at least that still gives you some shows to go to that you're probably not going to clip for because they're later in the year and um, you don't have to worry about them uttering up. But man, I'll tell you what, that especially that last buck show in the fall, it's usually cold and man, are those bucks smelly. I mean, and they are like in full rut. So, you know, give up the idea of setting them up or anything like that. You can't get it done. So. Anyway, just something oh, to think about. Yeah. Thanks for indulging me on that oh. question. Yes, no problem at all. The main topic. We're going to transition okay. to the main topic. We're going to go through some breeding debates that people often get into. And I don't think, Laura, in this case, there's a right or wrong answer. We're just going to talk about the debates and list some pros and cons. Right. And, and we may discover that we really don't agree on a lot of these things, which is cool. It's fine because, you know, everybody has their own way of doing stuff. So it's, it's all good. Just some things to think about. Yeah, absolutely. So breeding debates. I think the first one we're going to, you know, the first one we're going to do, and this is kind of a, a hot topic in some people. And the, and the question becomes, do you AI the goats or do you live breed the goats? Laura, what side, I guess, do we want to make this a true debate where we pick sides? I don't want to because I have, my thoughts are all over on this. Okay. But okay. I think, Let's, I think as we discuss this, Cameron, we're going to, we're going to kind of fall out into some different camps here. So, okay. um, so let me, let me throw out a first thought on this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Using AI to create a future herd sire. Good idea or bad idea? Good idea. Okay. I agree with that too. And, and, and I'll tell you my, my thinking on that. And you tell me what you think of it. Okay. Typically your doe gene pool is a little more tighter than, than a buck that you would use, correct? Usually yes, your does correct. are more closely related. So you can use AI to bring in something totally not related and outcross, but you can make correct. it into a little bit of a line breeding if you breed it to your very best doe with the idea of keeping a buck out of that breeding. Correct. Okay. So you would agree with that? I, I would agree. Okay. So... 
Along with that, then, would you say that most of the time people will use AI on their very best does in the herd and live breedings for maybe not their very best does? Yes, I would agree with that. Except, no, 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 no. I would agree with that statement. Yes. Let's just, let's just continue on the fact that I agree for now. Okay. All right. Okay. So here's what my, my question for you is, can AI be a detrimental tool to use if it is overused? Well, I think about AI in terms of resources, the amount of resources you need. And that primary resource is time. You know, I think about our friend Craig Copeland. He'll get up at like 3 a.m., 2 a.m., 11.30. You know, he'll wait for the weirdest times. And that's all all hours of the night in order to AI these goats. And which I don't have time to do that stuff. Especially when I'm not around because I might be traveling for work. And then my dad's schedule is crazy because in the sprint or in the fall, there's so many activities being a principal. So I think there's just a, a big time commitment to AIing a bulk of your herd. So that's my first thing with AI. Secondly, the thing about AI that I don't like about it is that I'm not very good at it. So, so there's that. I have a lower conception rate than bringing the buck out there, um, than bringing the live breeding the goat than I do with AI. And additionally, if I mess up on that AI, I might not have a backup plan as well there. I can understand that. Yes. Okay. I think all those things are considerations that you have to have to make there. Um, I guess where my mind was kind of going with this. um, And again, I have a really small herd and I've been, I mean, I've been breeding them since 2009 was the first year that I got back into Alpines. Okay. So I don't have 30 years of breeding behind what I'm currently doing, but I feel like one of the best decisions that, that I made early on was breeding all of my herd with maybe the exception of one to the same buck. And doing that. And then the next year doing that again. And then the next year doing that again with different bucks, but using that really tightening up my gene pool to set a certain type. And honestly, to make it easier to figure out where I needed to go for the next step in my breeding program to fix something because all my animals were similar and kind of had the same similar problems. Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree on that. And it's really interesting you say that because. I was talking to someone and she has a very legendary herd of Toggenbergs and she said the same thing to me was, well, the, the smart, one of the smartest things I ever did was just use one buck. And, and that really got me a lot of consistency in my type. And what it did was it made my life a lot easier as well. Right. Of course, there's the flip side of that, that if that one buck really through garbage, <laughs> um, you lose a year of breeding. But then again, on the other hand, 
it makes it easy to call. I mean, say so you just punt, you know, back up and punt again, you know, you find something else to do. True. I, I agree on that. And I, I think, <laughs> yeah, it's funny you said that there on about calling and it makes it easy. Cause we've, we've got, we've definitely had years like that. And I bet Laura, you've had years like that too. You're like, okay, that buck didn't work. We might just want to. Yeah. Right. Maybe collect him. Maybe collect him in case down the road you realize, oh, well, he did do this for me, and you might want to use it again. But move him on down so somebody else could use him. Exactly right. We 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 just dumped this last straw to some buck that we collected, and he didn't move the needle at all. So um, I, I do not recommend doing that. Well, okay, yeah, I, I can get that. Okay. Well, so kind of on the tail, on the, the uh, coattails of that, um, I would throw out the idea that if you, let's say that conception rates and time, Cameron, were no, were not an object for you. That was, that was not a deterrent for you. Okay. I would say that use overusing AI, using this buck here and that buck there and this buck there and this buck on this doe can really shoot your consistently consistency to heck. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. So it can kind of be dangerous in somebody's hands. If you're, if you don't have a mindful plan of what you're doing and why. Yes. I will tell you from firsthand experience in terms of consistency of type, we have our natural kids that were born you know, using natural methods. They're a lot more freaking consistent than the AIs because they look kind of different, which which isn't a bad thing necessarily. But I mean, <laughs> to me, it's they just kind of look all over the place. Well, so I've seen your AIs, and I think you have some pretty awesome ones. I'm thinking of one in particular, um, a pretty little belted doe that you have. Yeah, I think it's yes, a belt. That one. Yes, very yes. different. I mean, she she is a different doe. But I also have no doubt that when you breed her, you're going to pull her back into lines that that are more in line with what your usual type is, correct? Correct. We'll, we'll breed her to something that is more specifically our dairy type than our more round-ish type, I will say. That's the best way to describe her, round. I mean, if some people may call it fat. Uh, I wouldn't have called her that. <laughs> I... I think she's very i think she's very beautiful so a lot of strength there she's just a pretty doe but definitely a different type so i think when you use when you make that decision to ai or to live breed you really need to sit back and think about okay what am i just doing this because it's really cool um or do i really have something in mind here and cameron i think that's a nice segue to the second um thought yes. that you have on our little list yeah, you use perfect old, segue. Yeah. So use some old school semen or use newer bucks, whether they be semen or live breeding, in your breeding program. Yeah, so, I agree. And I'll, I'll start this one off, I think. Okay, good. Using old school semen, in my opinion, allows for a little bit more genetic diversity from what is currently going on right now. And I'm going to pick on pick on a specific breed here, and I will not say the name of the breed. But what I am specifically thinking is that right now in one of the breeds, there is such a small gene pool of goats. 
because there is just a couple herbs that are being line bred on top of each other, which are thus compounding some of the problems that those specific herds have. Because of that, old school semen, old school breedings would, would really help some of the does in getting away from some of those detrimental traits. That is so a loaded you, statement, I will say. You and I have not talked about this question at all beforehand. So um, I don't know for sure what breed you're talking about, but I think I might have an idea. And I think you and I possibly saw in um, Louisville some evidence of where using some of that old school stuff paid off. Yes, I would agree on that. I think we're thinking some different breeds, but yes, I would agree on that. And, and it's where the styles might be a little different, but they're still working today. Yes. And, and perhaps one of the things that's different is the size of the animal. Yeah. But the correct, the, the advancement that you've gotten in correctness in general appearance makes all the difference in the world. And I would say counterbalances maybe a little bit of loss of size. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm going to pick on a breed here. I'm going to specifically call it a breed because I think it's, it's fairly noticeable. Um, it's, it's the La Mancha breed and the La Mancha breed has significantly shifted towards having more of a Roman nose. Wouldn't you agree? Oh gosh. Yes. Heavens. Yes. 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 And that's coming from a, a specific breeder who I will not name but they have been very influential with the lines there. But I think going back to some of that older school semen and being able to improve those heads a little bit would be really good for the overall consistency of the breed and bring some of that. Yet you're going to lose some stuff using some of that older semen, but you're going to improve some stuff as well. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. I, yes, I would. And I think about, so I'm, I'm going to pull this into something near and dear to our hearts, Cameron looking at alpines i'm not going to say that the french alpine gene pool has any problems with diversity because there are a lot of french alpines out there mm -hmm. yes having said that there's some really cool old school alpine semen that that in my head i i go back and i think you know if i remember these animals correctly they had beautiful front ends something that alpines and, and i that alpines just have an issue with, I think um, mm -hmm. front ends are always a challenge to get. And I wonder if I went back and used some of that old school semen, if I could get that, but I'll just be honest with you, Cameron. One of the reasons why I have hesitated to do that is I'm worried about the difference in size. And there, that makes there, me sad because I'm not a size, I'm not a size junkie, but I also know I don't want to be the mini me out in the show ring. And, and that's where, that's, that's important to me. You know, I like to do well. I like to do well. Yeah, I agree on that. It kind of makes the case flipping to the flip side of using a newer buck, whether it's live or through AI. And it, it might allow you using a newer, newer buck instead of old school semen or, or older school lines to use a newer buck in order to get more consistent type of already what you have and not have to necessarily worry about losing size or in the case of, of some of the other breeds, uh, I, you know, I think about, uh, I'm, I'm not even going to say it, 
<laughs> We're walking okay. a tightrope here. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree? Oh yes, and we really we are not we are really trying not to offend anybody because no yeah you know, we're all breeders we're all trying to make the best decisions that we can and there as Cameron said before there really is not a right or a wrong decision here we're just throwing no. out some ideas of things to think about so um you know if we step on somebody's toes it was totally unintentional yeah absolutely I, I, you know I'll think about it here you know. Um, and Laura, I think you might have talked about this. We you talked about um, longer term the Nubian breed at one point and their specific top line issues, right? And and yeah. I, you know, and some of those older school animals might necessarily have not have had the best top lines, right? Correct. If I'm remembering this, right? Yes, th- right. Might not have had those top line issues. Of course, they might also have issues with really short ears or a lower rear udder or not as much udder capacity as today's modern Nubians have. So it, mm-hmm. you know, it's, a, I, I would say it's a trade-off. And, and I think one of the other concerns when you use that old school saying is, are we so far away from it now that you have no idea how it's going to cross with anything? Do we know if Frosty Marvin still works? That is the question for Nubian breeders. <laughs> Right. And then, of course, you know, with Frosty Marvin, you bring in the whole testing thing. And, uh, you know, if that's important to you, how do you deal with that? And uh, yeah, it's just there's just a lot to consider when you think about that old school semen. Now, having said that, Cameron, I know that you guys use old school semen and you probably will again this year. I know that I have a couple of does that I think I'm going to pull some early nineties, late eighties semen out of my tank and just what the, Hey, try it this year and see how that works out. But one thing I didn't even put on our, yeah. Well, one thing I didn't even put on this thing is like, and it's a debate in itself is you wait for the semen for the right goat or do you just use it now because it's not getting any younger. Oh, that's a loaded question. <laughs> for example what do you I'll pick do what do you do cameron ah, that's a great question i don't know and i'll throw out my specific example here i have two straws of, of, of chippewa kbrc's uh, chippewa demon and he's been the premier star of the national show he he started one of my favorite talking birds of all time um legendary winterberry and and you know to me he breeds beautiful types of goats. I mean, he, he throws consistent daughters, beautiful types of goats. But I don't necessarily know if I have the right goat to use him on yet. But I also understand that he's not getting any younger. And I also am paying a, a fee, for lack of a better term, with the nitrogen I'm putting in the tank, with the tank space, in order to keep him around for another year and not using him. Uh-huh. Yep. So... So I think, I think I will continue to wait on him and, and, and see. And again, I think it's a case-by-case basis. But also, and I think this, is, this might be the problem with some goat breeders, is that we don't sell necessarily the right amount of semen necessarily. We sell them in, in lots of five or ten because it's easy. But to be honest with you, I don't need five straws of a buck sometimes. Right. And you know, how many of us have random little straws in our tank 
that we're probably not going to use, but you don't want to get rid of it. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, and this is another debate in itself is how much semen out there is not necessary because it's either past its prime, for lack of a better term, or it's just plain junk. Or even a third one, how much of it is not good quality anymore? Right. And of course, you don't know that until you thaw it out. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And to me, there's so many of who spawned this into so many debates, which uh, is, is awesome and is the purpose of this podcast. Um, but um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's so many things to consider when it comes to using the using the semen in the tank right now or waiting for the right goat. Because I hate when I said, man, I really wish I had, um, you know, Hoach's Lyric Liaison still in my tank. I'd love to use that on him, on this cell. Right. And, and you know somebody yeah, I, has that hanging out in somebody's tank somewhere that's waiting for that perfect dough to come along and it'll never get used. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, to me, and this is, might be my new philosophy here, is I'm going to use it when I feel it's right, whether it's not you know a 100% perfect match, but I think it'll be fun to use. Yes. So, okay. So, Cameron, we're going to make a pact. I have two straws of very rare semen in my tank that I've I've hoarded now for four years, and I am going to use it this year. Okay, okay we're, we're, so we're got, making a pack. Okay, so we got to do it, Elizabeth. Okay, Elizabeth, if you're listening, which you probably are, um, she's using the semen. Don't. It's public knowledge now. Don't try to talk her out of it. <laughs> yeah, because you know that that happens all the time. <laughs> well let's okay have we have we ruminated haha pun intended ruminated yes. on that long enough now yes i think we've we've actually came up with more questions than answers i think i think so i think so so does that mean <laughs> that, that again there's no right answer here just some things to consider yeah i think there's just some pros and some cons and there's really no winner in these debates but i just i think it's good um, a fodder, if I will. If I'm, I think so something. too. Yeah, fodder. Rumination. So let's move on to the next one. When you okay. are looking at breeding kids, okay, do you breed okay. them by weight or do you breed them by date? When I wrote that out, I didn't realize it rhymed. Um, but I was impressed, Karen. So <laughs> I am a big. A breed by date guy, and okay. Let me let me tell you why, and it, and this kind of goes into our second thing as well. Is I all of my junior kids ish will be mostly out of first freshers, and that's because I kind of want to be able to make room in my herd because we'll make a cut probably somewhere in that March time frame, right before April. Um, in order to have enough space space in my barn in order to um, evaluate the does, both in the senior doe side and the kid side as well. So that's why I use I use it by date, but our friends, the Thompsons, and I've talked about the Thompsons a lot here, um, are, are, uh, are a breed by weight type of, of people. Yeah, and I, you know, when they, when they talked about their, their, how they usually f have their first fresheners 
kid first before they have their maturados. I'm sitting here thinking that is like totally opposite of what I've ever done, but I think it's like kind of brilliant because you know, you're probably going to keep those maturados. They've made themselves a place in your herd. So, and those are the does that probably have the greatest potential to do awesome for you at a national show or, you know, a bigger show or a bigger club show or state fair. So you want them really nice and fresh for those shows. Um, And you know, their kids are probably going to be keepers, even if you decide to keep them dry for that year. So that makes all kinds of sense. I just don't know how to get my tiny herd flipped to do that because since my younger does are my later freshening ones, I'd either have to have a whole year of dry yearlings. You know what I'm saying? It would be hard to flip it. Yeah, I agree on that. And when I'm, I am, I don't know if I'm afraid or if I, I, I don't know a lot of the science behind it, but I'm a, I'm just really afraid to freshen first freshness because first off, they don't know what the heck they're doing. And two, they're really annoying. And three, and three, um, they, they seem to me to present some of the most challenging issues. Um, because one, they've never done it before. And two, um, we just have weird goats. And my, my worry is that the rump structure won't get wide enough without that added growth and extra time in order to grow. But again, that's just my herd and knowing my genetics I play with. Right. I've thought about those things too. And then I've also thought about the fact, what would it look like when frankly having having freshened goats and new baby goats are still wonderful and exciting so maybe you have a little more patience for those idiot first fresheners and then by the time the older girls freshen you know you're a little bit more tired and a little bit more worn out but at least they know the protocol and know know what they're supposed to be doing i don't know there's i think there's a lot of different ways to look at it i tend to to breed more by date, kind of like you, except if they aren't the weight by the date, then I don't breed them. And in some cases I don't even keep them. Okay. Just because they're not growing as fast. And you're like, I don't want to handle it. Not necessarily a slow mature, but I don't want to handle someone who's not aggressive at the feed pan. Yes. And, and that's something that I've started paying a lot more attention to. Those kids that you have to entice to eat and you have to put a feeder off to the side because they get shoved out of the other feeders and those kids kind of make me insane a little bit and I'm more apt to sell them than to keep them. Gotcha. Well, that's a little, um, a little light went off in my brain and I'm texting my fiance that about one of her goats because she's not super aggressive with the feed pan right now, currently. Um, I'll tell you a story though. And it's really it's an interesting story and I'll call it not necessarily one of the proudest moments that I've ever seen, but uh, it's interesting. And I, and I think it's important to share in which one of Catherine Doe's last year got bred, not by, it wasn't the weight, wasn't the right time either. She was born in May. She freshened in February of the year of that next year. And I was like, Oh no. Yeah. So they came out they, for the person who did chores. They came out and found two kids. And they're like, um, who did they go to? 
So, yes. And the, the goat looked like skin and bones. And that right there just really concerned me in order to breed breed by early time. However, as I watched the goat mature throughout the year, I was like, okay, she's progressively getting better. She just needs to kind of figure herself out. And and Catherine never really pushed for really hard production with her just because she knows she needed to grow. By the time the Wisconsin State Fair comes, I'm like, who the heck is this goat? She's like, that's the one that freshened in, in February. I'm like, no way. She she had put all this weight back on. Sure, her body had started to catch up with her again and, and grow and mature. And she ended up being first place yearly milker at the Wisconsin State Fair. And I was like, okay. Maybe, you know, there's a little life lesson there, but I, I can't, I can't do it. I need to do it by the date. Well, I think that brings up another good thing to consider also. Um, you know, many times we do hold off does and, and keep them over as a dry yearling because we want them to be as big as they possibly can be. And we want them to grow. We want to give them every opportunity, but I have seen it happen time and time again in my herd that maybe I'll keep one doe dry. And I, it's very rare that I keep dry yearlings. But if I have twins, I might keep one dry and freshen the other one. Many times the one that I freshen grows better than the one that is kept dry. And it's not, I don't think it's a difference in feed. I think it's a hormonal influence. I'm not sure why. Hmm. But, I, you know, I think that's something to consider too, that, Keeping a doe dry may not necessarily ensure that she's going to grow to her greatest potential. Okay. Okay. I don't know. I thought, I mean, and maybe I'm, maybe, maybe it's, maybe, maybe it was just a, a fluke instance, but um, I, I think that's something to consider too. I once had an appraiser and I looked back, it was 10 years ago that I had this appraiser and um, she told me that she absolutely does not like dry yearlings. And this was back at a time when Adga was still doing the young stock appraisal or the young stock evaluation. And um, she was looking at, at my kids and I said something about keeping a kid dry. She said, don't. She said, you should freshen her. She said, honestly, if a doe's not big enough to breed to freshen as a yearling, you probably shouldn't keep her. I'm like, oh, yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, and I would maybe challenge that and say, what if the cases are they're born late or it's, uh, you know, a slower maturing or slower growing line? But yeah, no, that's something to really consider there. But um, knowing that and thinking about timing, I think this brings us to our last debate. Okay. Which, it, which is, do you breed the goats all at once? Or do you breed all the goats as they come into heat, or do you space out breeding season, which in turn spaces out kidding season? Do you have a preference, Cameron? I have a preference. My dad has a different preference. So um, let me explain my dad's preference because that's the most experience I have. Fun fact about my dad is he also coaches speech and debate. When he coaches speech, the state speech tournament is the third week in February. When do most of our goats get bred? About 20 of them? The third week in September. So, where is my dad at during the third week in February? At the state speech tournament. 
where am I? At the barn. So sure. I think that answers the question. <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I don't feel like that there's a right answer on this either. You know, certainly one consideration is if you're gunning for uh, premier breeder points or premier exhibitor points, it is important to have kids in every age class. Yes. Would you agree? agree. At a national show, at a state fair, whatever. Yes. Right. So, so that is one consideration. Um, I'm just going to say as, as somebody who works full time outside the home and who has my, my, chore help that lives at home with me is my youngest daughter and she works three quarter time job and also goes to college full time. Time is really at a premium around, around my house. And, um, last year we had all but three of our does kid in a three week period. And it was I loved it. I thought it was absolutely wonderful. It was crazy busy. Um, My oldest daughter took a week off work to be home. And so she was here to kid goats and feed babies and make sure that everybody was doing okay. Um, My middle daughter had her spring break from school and she was home for a week. I took a whole week off of work and then my youngest daughter had another week and we happened to somehow stagger that out so that we weren't all off at the same time. And it was great. I mean, it really was easy. We disbutted everybody at the same time. It was just wonderful. We only had intermediate kids to show this year, but you know, Hey, I we're a small herd and I'm not in a contention for, premier breeder or anything like that. So I felt like that it was really easy, but I think this year we're going to space them out a little bit better and, and um, maybe have a little more competitive show string to take to Harrisburg next year. As far as ages go. I like spreading them out. Um, and, I, and I say this obviously because I work from home and most of my go kid during meetings, I'm not making that up seems like there was at least 15 of them that kidded while I was in a meeting. Um, so <laughs> I, 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 I don't mind spacing them out. My thing about that though, and this is what I'm always afraid of. And this is what my dad is afraid of is that that goat will come into heat once and it won't come back into heat for some reason. Yes. I, I, and I think all of us that have been in goats for a while have seen that happen before. Or and what if maybe you missed that not, chance? And what if you missed that chance or you're not here for a weekend or like your chore help doesn't catch it? I know there's sometimes in the fall where, you know, myself and my dad aren't here and we can, and you know, you miss things. And, and then it's all of a sudden it's December and you're breeding them or it's Christmas and they're sliding on ice trying to get bread. And I mean, it's, it's love on ice and, oh, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, that is just a big concern. It's like you miss, you miss a breeding and then all of a sudden, that puts you behind and the goat might not freshen. Right. Or you're stuck with June kids. And I don't know about you. I hate June kids. Hate them. The only thing worse than June kids are July kids. <laughs> yeah. No, totally. Totally agree there. So, well, I had a set of November kids once. and I'll tell, I'll tell you that story offline, but it's interesting. 
See, I think November, October, November, December kids would be awesome, except they don't work well for shows. But, you know, you're missing out on the parasites. It's nice and cold when they're, you know, babies. So they grow well. And, I, you know, to me, but it's not bitter cold like it is here in January. So um, I would think October, November kids would be great. But, um, you know, for me, those straggler kids that come late in the year, you're tired things get missed on them. Those are the ones that usually have bad scurs because I'm like, Oh crud, I have somebody that I have to disbud and I forgot about it, you know, kind of a thing. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that's bad bad on my part. Yeah. I I agree on that there. Any other debate lore you think we need to have? I don't think so. I hope that our discussion today is kind of shown everybody that there's all kinds of ways to do things and nothing is the right way. I would say, I I would say to wrap this up, just make sure you make a mindful decision, you know, have a plan, make sure that you have a plan on what you're doing and, um, you know, try something out. If it doesn't exactly work, well, at least you tried it and don't hoard old semen. <laughs> if you have a plan, make sure you have a backup plan. <laughs> well, yeah, that's for sure. For sure. <laughs> As always, thank you listeners for being with us. If you like us, tell a friend. Maybe at the Missouri State Fair. Laura will be there. You can tell her all about Vote Gab as well. For sure. And when you run into Cameron at his last two shows of the year or wherever you might see him at the feed store, um, let him know what you like too. We're so glad to be part of your family and and, uh, your weekly listening. And uh, thank you for putting up with our a little chat here today. I hope you had as much fun as Cameron and I did sitting around chatting about something as important as breeding. So have a great week, everybody. Have a great week, everybody.